Well, good morning, church family. Uh, always good to be worshiping together. If you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we are going to continue in a series that we've started several weeks back that we've titled Exiles. And uh, really that title just comes from the context that the letter of 1 Peter was written to. It was written to believers that were scattered all across the world who were trying to represent Jesus in a culture that did not care about Christ. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but it should. Uh, we're living in a culture like that today. So 1 Peter chapter number 3. As you turn there, I want to ask you a question or at least a, uh, share a phrase with you that I've heard a lot over my life. I hope you have too. Uh, the phrase is... In a perfect world. Um, I don't know if you've ever used that phrase before, if you've ever heard that phrase before, but let me give you a little context. In a perfect world. Maybe you were thinking about something that your kids were doing that you wished they were not doing, and so you might have thought, in a perfect world, my kids would listen to everything that I say, right? That's a perfect world. Or maybe you were thinking about uh, your, your, your finances, and so you said, in a perfect world, I would have a billion dollars, right? That's what a perfect world might look like. Or maybe you're thinking about a job or some promotion that you wanted. And so you thought in a perfect world, I would be the boss, right? Like those are the kind of things that we think of when we think of the phrase in a perfect world. And listen, you could add all kinds of things to that. In a perfect world, I would never grow old. Or in a perfect world, I would only have to work on Mondays. I heard earlier today that most people don't want to work on Mondays. So maybe in a perfect world, I would get paid but never have to work, okay? Maybe that's uh, the case. Or in a perfect world, everything would go just as I planned for it to go. This phrase, in a perfect world, really means what the world would be like if everything happened as I wanted it to happen. You familiar with this phrase? You ever thought this before? In a perfect world, you fill in the blank of whatever would make you happy or you better or your small world a little bit more how you think it should be perfect. Well, I wonder, as I was thinking about this phrase, I wonder how often God laughs while hearing me complain about what the world would be like if it was according to Danny. The truth is, God isn't making a world that fits my design, and to be honest, he's not making a world that fits yours either. God already has a perfect design. I'm not talking about way back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden or the creation story, although God did originally create things perfect. I'm talking about God's design made possible now through Jesus Christ, his son. He's redeeming all things through the blood of Jesus. This is why we read in Colossians 1.20, and through him, talking about Jesus, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen, in a perfect world, my design is messed up, right? It's broken. It's sinful. But what's awesome is it doesn't have to be this way. Now that I've surrendered my life to Jesus, now that I've invited his design, his perfect world over my design, I can choose him above myself. As a matter of fact, this is what Peter's been writing about in his letter from the very beginning. Let me, let me give you a, an example of this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, we don't have to live according to a dead life or a dead hope. We have a living hope now through Jesus. He goes on, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, he said, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because I can be holy? No, no, no. Because he has been holy, now I can be in all of my conduct as I surrender, as I've been caused to be born again through Jesus. First Peter 1, verse, verse 23, he writes, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He'll go on, First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he writes this, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's talking about a perfect world. He's not talking about a perfect world according to me or according to you. He's talking about a perfect world according to God. What if the phrase, in a perfect world, was actually talking about God's design for me now that I follow him? What if instead of thinking about how I would make the world a better place or how it would be perfect according to Danny, what if we spent time in the word and realized that through Jesus, God's redeeming everything and we can now live according to his design rather than our own? And what if we redeemed the phrase in a perfect world and thought about the design that God has for each of us? Well, I think that's definitely what Peter has in mind when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse number 1. I want you to go with me in a perfect world according to God's design, what things would look like, especially as it relates to our relationships. Here's what Peter writes. He says, likewise, wives. Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be Hindered. Now listen, this passage of scripture is a little difficult to wrestle with at times. Especially in our culture, there's some, some, some animosity toward wives submitting and husbands submitting and why shouldn't everything be about me and my way and my design, right? It's a little different when we start reading about the way God structures life compared to the way our culture structures life. But here's what I think. God's perfect world, his design is exactly what all of us should be seeking. And listen, I want you to see it. I want you to see the perfect design. We'll start like Peter did. We'll start with wives. We'll start with ladies. And here's what we'll think. 
God's design, his perfect world, according to the context of wives and ladies, and really I would almost stress all people, but in this context, God's design, his perfect world means, wives, your actions matter. Your actions matter. This is why Peter said, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, here's that word likewise. It's obviously referring back to something previous in Scripture, and it's teaching on the topic of submission. This is not the first time Peter addresses submission. He's already done it in 1 Peter chapter 2 in several other contexts. Let me give them to you. The first time he talks about submission is in 1 Peter 2, 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the government in general. He then talks about submission in the context of servants and masters. In 1 Peter 2, 18, he writes, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now he's talking about submission in the context of husbands and wives. And when he talks about husbands and wives, especially as the Bible is concerned, it's clear that there are different roles that women and men play within the family structure. This is why Peter wrote, wives be subject to your own husbands. Now here's what this phrase doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that men are superior or that women are inferior. Paul clears that up, by the way, for all times in Galatians chapter 3 when he wrote these words. Let me give you a picture of it. You ready? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. By the way, this phrase, um, as for as many of you, that means everybody, right? Male, female, doesn't matter. If you've given your life to Jesus, been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, you live according to a different standard. It's no longer according to the world standard. It's no longer according to my perfect world and my sin and my brokenness and my thinking. It's now according to the design of God that's being redeemed through the blood of Jesus. You see, he's taken us back. He created perfection, sin broke it, Jesus came to redeem it so that we could now live according to his design. Well, what is it? Here's what he says. Paul goes on in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's off the table. So what's Peter talking about? What he means is that women... Men, husbands, wives have different roles within the whole. Makes me think about our staff here at First Baptist. All of us are a little different in what we do, but none of us are better than the other one. For instance, those of you who think, well, Danny, you're the pastor. You must be the best one on staff. I would agree with that. But no, that's not the case, right? The pastor is not better than the youth pastor. They have different roles, but equally important. The youth pastor is not better than the worship pastor. They have different roles, but equally important. The children's director is not thrown out on some island somewhere that's, you know, disposable. Of course not. All of them are equal in their purpose, in their need, although their role may be a little different. This is the context in which Peter's writing about. So why this phrase, be Subject. 
Well, Peter's not talking about blind submission that does anything that someone tells you, even if it goes against God. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is submitting for the sake of someone coming to faith in Jesus. Don't forget what he's already mentioned in this context of submission. I'm going to go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Listen to what Peter wrote. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There's that word conduct again. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So think about it in that context, right? Your actions matter. What's Peter talking about? Well, he's saying when we submit, when we put others before ourselves, we don't do it because it's easy. We don't do it because it's the right thing to do. We don't do it because God looks forward to having us suffer all the time. No. We submit because it brings glory to God by pointing others to Jesus. This is why Peter spends a lengthy amount of time in chapter 2 talking about the example of Jesus himself and how he submitted for the sake of all people being made right with God. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Listen, friends, never forget this principle. Our submission above everything else is not to one another. Our submission above everything else is to God. And because we submit to him and his authority and his design and his perfect world, not Danny's perfect world, because we submit to him, we live in obedience even when it's difficult. Why? Because he's the authority, not me. So think about this in the context of the greater topic of submission. Submitting to the government, even when they don't honor God, is hard. Maybe some of you are thinking, Danny, I'm not going to do that. I refuse to submit to the government because they don't honor God and it's too hard for me to do it. I'm not doing it. Well, what if through your submission, your honor, your actions, people will come to know Jesus? Does that change it? Submitting to a boss that is unjust and ungodly is just too hard. Danny, I'm not going to do it. This can't be what God wants. I'm suffering in my workplace. Well, what if through your submission, your honor, what if through your actions, that boss will come to know Jesus? Will that change it? Submitting to my husband is too hard. Danny, you don't understand. He doesn't love God. He's harsh to me. He's harsh to my family. I don't think this is what God wants for me. I think I should leave. I think I should do what makes me happy, what makes me feel better, what's right for me, right? Now we're thinking again in a perfect world according to us rather than according to God's design. Because what if this, what if through your submission, your honor, your actions, that husband will come to know Jesus. Is this not what Peter has been teaching? He says, he writes, even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. What if we switch this, by the way? So we're so, we're so nestled in on thinking of wives and husbands. And for those of you who are not a wife or not a husband, you're thinking, Danny, this has nothing to do with me. No, no, no. What if, what if we change this up a little bit? The greater context of submission, what if we said, hey, that without a word by the conduct of their citizens, a government could be changed? Or what if we switched it up and we said without a word by the conduct of their workers, 
and an institution can be changed, right? What if we took out the wives and husbands context that's specific to chapter three and we thought about submission as a whole back in 1 Peter chapter two and we realized that the greater context is we submit to God and his authority first, why? So that he gets glory, so that through our works people see him, so that people come to know the name of Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my perfect world. It's about God's design. Even though the husband is lost, his wife could be the agent in which God brings the gospel to him. Think about it. Through lives lived out in submission, what if we could change the world as we honor Jesus. By the way, this isn't a new concept. Jesus teaches this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5. He tells them in the Beatitudes how they're blessed for so many different things, right? This may hurt. This may be tough. This may not be what you want, but you'll be blessed as you follow and honor God. You know what one of them is in that context? It's persecution. It's suffering even when you're doing right. And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, yeah, that may happen. But let me tell you something greater. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Don't hide it. Instead, put it on a hill so that the world can see. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Here's what Jesus says. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What if? What if that was our goal? Danny, wives should submit because men are greater. Mm, no. Wives and husbands submit to each other through the authority of God so that people can see Jesus. That's why. Mm. So let me ask you a question. How are you conducting your life? How are your actions pointing people to Jesus? In the context of husbands and wives, wives, your actions matter. Listen, let me show you something else because I spent so much time there and we have so much. God's design his perfect world means, wives, your appearance matters. Peter uses the word adorning. Your appearance matters. Now, maybe you're out there thinking, don't worry, Danny, I'm always trying to look good for my man. Well, that's not exactly what Peter had in mind. Look back at verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, right? The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning, your appearance, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now listen, don't get crazy on this verse, okay? There's a simple principle here, and honestly, I don't think it's just for ladies. I think it's for everybody in the room. Here it is. You ready? What's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. Beauty comes from within. You say, Danny, does this mean I can't braid my hair? Does this mean I can't wear jewelry? Does this mean I shouldn't care about my clothing? No, no, no. There's an opposite side, too, where I might notice you because you went over the top. I might notice you because you didn't do enough, right? It's kind of both scenarios. It's not about outward. What it means, Peter's talking about, is when we desire outward beauty at the sake of inward beauty. In other words, what a woman looks like had no bearing on the character of God within. Let me put it to you how my mind works. If you're more concerned about your own confidence over someone else's conversion to Jesus, then you're probably focusing on the wrong thing. 
Hey, listen, I don't care if you're a woman or if you're a man, if all you care about is what's on the outside at the sake of what God's wanting to do in your soul to make you more like Jesus, then let me tell you something. One day, that outward appearance, it's going to be gone, and you're going to be left with that person staring back with you in the mirror, and the question's going to be, what's God been doing on the inside that will never fade? Listen, I don't want to get into an awkward discussion about modesty or what men or women should be wearing or not wearing. I don't think Peter cares to go into the details of every little thing that means. What I think he's trying to get us to understand is that what's on the inside is much more important than what's on the outside. Let me ask you this question. How are people going to be led to Jesus simply through the nice things that you might wear? They were going to see Jesus through their obedience to God, through a gentle and quiet spirit, not anything to do with what was on the outside. Outward beauty to be noticed and be desired is not what God desires. Instead, he desires an inward beauty that reflects his goodness, even to a husband that is hard to live with. As a matter of fact, this goes even beyond the context of marriage. Jesus teaches multiple times, the New Testament writers teach multiple times that honestly, we don't give back to someone what they give to us, right? It's not about them in those moments. It's about how we're living in honor of God. This is why he would say, if someone is to, uh, you've, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other, right? That's why Paul would write, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Bible's clear that we endure suffering in order to see lives changed. And this is the same thing. It's true for all of us. It's true for a spouse. There may be times that you endure suffering in order that your spouse would see the truth of God. One commentator Put it like this, he wrote, Western culture values the showy, the fashionable, the trendy. Media bombards us with one message, look your best at all costs. The world lavishes its treasures on those considered the most physically beautiful. But God turns the tables on the world's agenda. The internal adornment of virtue never goes out of style. It's imperishable. While the quality of a gentle and quiet spirit may not impress the red carpet crowd at the Academy Awards, it's precious in God's sight. Wives, your appearance matters. Are you more worried about clothing the outside or are you more worried about clothing the inside? What is God doing in your soul? Let me show you this one too, though. God's design his perfect world for wives means your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. Here's what Peter wrote, verses five and six. Look back at them with me. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. It's always a funny phrase, by the way. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now listen, there are plenty of examples from scripture of women who were holy. We could think about Noah's wife, right? Think of all the ridicule Noah got for being this crazy person building an ark when there was no rain. But there his wife was standing beside him till the end. We could think about the mother of Moses, what all she was risking to protect her son and honor God. We could think about Esther. We could think about Ruth. We could think about Priscilla and Deborah or Dorcas. I mean, there's plenty, but Peter mentions Sarah and specifically her attitude to her husband, Abraham. Now listen, you can't always control what happens to you, 
but you can control how you respond to what happens to you. We can have the attitude of Sarah regardless of what's happening around us. Now, I want to just side note here. Doesn't mean that you do that by calling your husband Lord. So for all the wives in the room whose husband will now jab you later today and say, "Uh uh-uh, don't call me Danny, it's Lord Danny. It's obviously not what Peter's talking about in this text. As a matter of fact, he's referencing a specific time in which Sarah used the phrase Lord. It's back in Genesis 18, 12, when God told Abraham and Sarah in their old age that though they've waited on a son for years and years, God was finally bringing them the promise that he gave them years and years ago. Now, it's probably, it's probably true that Peter's using this example because even at this time in her disbelief, one of, if not the lowest moment in the life of Abraham and Sarah, she still chooses to acknowledge Abraham's leadership in their marriage and received the blessing of a son as a result. Her attitude was one that respected her husband even when she didn't agree with him, even when she didn't understand what he was doing. You say, Danny, how do you know that? If you read the account in Genesis 18, do you know what Sarah's initial response is? She laughs. There's no way this 90-year-old lady is going to have a son. It's funny to her. But she honors God and respects her husband as God blesses their lives. Now, I read something this week just to think about this example I read something about uh, women typically hearing about the, the example of Sarah and Abraham probably think, you know what, if my husband was Abraham, if he was the father of, of everyone, if he was that godly man who followed God that much, who did all those great things in the Old Testament, if that was my husband, I would obviously respect him and follow him and honor him. Maybe you're out there thinking, Danny, my husband's not like Abraham. You need to come meet him if you think God wants me to love him like Sarah loved Abraham. Well, listen, if that's what you're thinking, just remind you of a few things that Sarah went through who had this awesome father of the faith husband named Abraham. You ready? Her husband claimed to have had visions from God instructing them to move to a strange land. Now, I don't know about you, wives, but if your husband comes in later this afternoon and says, hey, we're packing up everything, we're leaving, I don't even have to tell you where, we're just going. God gave me a vision. You're probably moving back in with your parents, right? Or how about this one? Her husband convinced Sarah, Abraham convinced Sarah, to pretend to be his sister while they were in Egypt where the Pharaoh temporarily took Sarah as his wife. Listen, the coward that was Abraham didn't want to deal with the the issue that was happening, so he made Sarah act like he was his sister. She was his sister. That's right. How about this one? She followed her husband's lead even when Abraham surrendered the best land to the imbecile that was their nephew, Lot. How about the second time that Abraham passed Sarah off as his sister, this time attracting the attention of Abimelech, king of Gerar, who wanted Sarah to be his wife once again. I don't want to be punished. Take her. How about this one? She endured the near sacrifice of her only son Isaac at the hands of Abraham, who claimed God had instructed him to offer their son. All right, if none of the rest of them connected with you, mom, listen to me. Your husband just told you they're going to sacrifice your kid to God. I mean, seriously, knife, stab him, death. You got any particular responses in that moment? Probably not, oh, yes, 
let me honor you in this moment to take my child and kill them. Listen, they weren't saints in a way. Listen, from Sarah's perspective, Abraham may have appeared unpredictable, devious, foolish, rash, and irresponsible. In some cases, her estimation of the man would have been quite accurate. But Peter uses Sarah as an example. You say, Danny, why? Not because of her perfect marriage, not because of her perfect husband, but because of her willingness to subject to him even though he wasn't and neither was their marriage. Now think about this. Why does God use an example of an imperfect marriage? Because he's showing the rest of the imperfect marriages that as we seek to honor him, even when we don't understand, even when we don't know what's happening next, as we seek to submit to God by submitting to one another, we can paint a picture of how God's design works. So for the ladies in the churches, Peter reminds them in a perfect world, according to God's design, their actions matter, their appearance matters, their attitude matters. But listen, in case the wives out there are thinking, Danny, why are you talking so much to us? There's something else about the husbands. That's true. So Peter does, in fact, not just talk to the wives or the ladies. He also turns to the men in the churches. In other words, God's design, his perfect world for husbands, for men, means, here you go, guys, your attention matters. Here we go. Let's talk about guys for a second. Your attention matters. Here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, I heard people talk about this, and I read a few different things. But I've often heard people say, why are there six verses to the wives and only one verse to the men? Something seems not right there, Danny. Why don't the men get as much treatment as the women get? What's going on? Well, the way I think about this is like at my house. When Kayla needs me to tell her something, I got to give her a whole lot of details. I got to give her six verses because she wants to know everything that's happening. But when Kayla tells me something, she's learned to just give me the one verse. What's the one thing you need from me? Because that's all I'm going to remember in this conversation, right? So I think for the ladies, a little more conversation. For the men, Peter gets right to the point. The first one is your attention matters. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now here's that word again, likewise. Now though this may not be heard very much, wives, ladies, aren't the only ones that are asked to be subject or to submit. Both men and women, all people, according to God's design in his perfect world, submit to God and to one another. By the way, just as a side note, in the previous discussions about submission, the governing authorities aren't addressed, just the citizens are. Also, the masters aren't addressed, just the servants are. But in this context, husbands and wives, both parties are addressed. Both need to learn about submission and cooperation and love and Jesus, right? So Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. You want to know what this means? This means that husbands should know their wives. The word for understanding is a word that means knowledge. Do you husbands pay enough attention to your wife to know her, to understand her? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Do you know what she loves? What makes her happy? What makes her excited? What does she hate? What makes her sad? What are her strengths? What are her weaknesses? Husbands, do you know her? Do you try to know or understand her? Listen, do you pay? as much attention to her as you do that job or that sports team or that hobby. Whew. That one hurt me too, by the way. 
I know right now if I asked you facts about a season from 1959, you could tell me everything there is. I ask you about your wife, and you act like you barely know her. I lived with her for 30 years, but I, you know, whatever. We know about a lot of things. We pay attention to a lot of stuff. Hey, listen to me. Husbands, listen to me. Men, do you pay attention to your wife? Paul reminded the church at Ephesus of this in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what he said to him. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus knows us. He pays attention to us. He knows what we love. He knows what we hate. He knows what makes us happy what makes us sad, what stresses us out. Husbands, do you know your wife like you know yourself? Pay attention. She deserves it more than a sports team deserves it. She deserves it more than your job deserves it. She deserves it more than that hobby that you think you can't live without. She deserves it more. Husbands, men, your attention matters. Listen, God's design, his perfect world means husbands, your appreciation matters. Your appreciation matters. He goes on, he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Then he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, appreciation is the act of estimating the qualities of things, giving them their proper value. That's what the word honor means in this verse. It literally means value or price. It is the cost of something. Now listen, husbands, listen to me. How much is your wife worth to you and do you appreciate her value? Will you sacrifice everything else for her? Will you work hard to provide for her? Will you put her needs above your own because she's that valuable to you? Peter uses an interesting phrase in this context. He uses the phrase, as the weaker vessel. Now, it could be that Peter's referring to physical strength, but this seems unlikely since there are women in this room that are stronger than men in this room. I won't name any names, although that would be fun. This is probably less about physical strength and more about the standing and the worth that our culture and the culture of Peter's day puts on men versus women. There were certainly disadvantages to being a wife in a patriarchal society of Peter's day. This is still true for us in several different ways in the Western culture. I'll give you an example. This is from one commentary writer. He wrote, the main point is that women are more vulnerable and this world is more oppressive to them. Women are more likely to be the victims of violent assault. They will struggle more with gaining the access of levels of power in society. Even in a Western society that seeks equality, women are often objectified by men. In a world that seems to underappreciate women, husbands, let me ask you something. Do you appreciate your wife? Do you value her like you should? Do you place her in the right place of honor in your life, in your family, in your world? Because listen, according to God's design, his perfect world, your appreciation matters. Let me show you this last one. God's design, his perfect world. Here's what it means, husbands. Your acceptance matters. Let me go back to verse seven. 
Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since, look at this, they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Can I just point something out? Equality isn't something that is received by women who have a good husband or good men around them. Equality should be happening among all men and among all women because we are heirs with one another of the grace of life. We're in this thing together to enjoy the company of one another. The husband isn't better than the wife. The wife isn't better than the husband. Together you are one flesh. You are better together, equally important, and heirs of God's grace. I love what Solomon wrote. He said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. Just think that's funny. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Listen, in the Roman world, women were thought of as possessions. They were thought of as servants to raise children and manage households. However, the Christian marriage was that of love and respect, knowing their roles and enjoying a lifelong friendship together. Peter also leaves a little warning here for the husbands, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know what he's saying? He's saying your relationship with your spouse is like a mirror for your relationship with God. If you're struggling to love each other, it's probably because you're struggling in your relationship with God personally. So listen, for the men in the churches, Peter reminds them, in a perfect world, according to God's design, their attention matters, their appreciation matters, their acceptance matters. Listen, Peter knows about marriage. He's not talking about somebody who is unaware. He was married. He knows about the ups and downs. He knows the challenges of loving his wife like Jesus loves the church. He knows the challenges that his wife has to honor him as her husband. I think he's helping us understand the commitment of marriage. But I think it's even greater than that. I think he's showing us the commitment we have to one another. As a matter of fact, I heard one person put it that a lot of times people are looking for a wedding. They're not looking for a marriage. It's difficult in our society, is it not? What if we realize that home is where our faith is seen best? What if we stop thinking about how to be a witness for Jesus at work if we're not willing to be a witness for Jesus at home? Say, Danny, what do you mean? Show your spouse Jesus. Show your kids Jesus. Show your parents Jesus. You know what I think Peter's saying? He's saying we can change the world one family at a time, and it starts in your home with wives loving their husbands and husbands loving their wives and living together equally for the glory and honor of Jesus. What if we showed our world that there's so much more than what they've always heard? What if we showed our world that there's a better way? It's not a perfect world according to Danny or according to you. What if we showed the world that God has a design that really is the perfect world. Say, Danny, how can we get there? We're broken, we're messed up. I agree. You know how I think it starts? I think it starts for every person who doesn't know Jesus to surrender their life to him. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? Listen, you might be in here this morning, you might say, Danny, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I, I, I understand what you're talking about. I understand that God has a perfect world. I understand that he has a design in a way that's better than ours, but man, I don't even know him. Hey, can I tell you something today? You can give your life to Jesus. He can mend the brokenness that is your life. 
You say, Danny, I'm already a believer. What should I do next? Well, let me, let me ask you something. Are you living according to the principles that Peter shares here in chapter three? Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, Danny, I'm not married. I'm not a wife. I'm not a husband. Listen, these principles apply to every male and every female. What if instead of thinking about ourselves, we thought about others? What if we realized that our actions and our attitudes and our appearance and our appreciation and our acceptance and our attention, what if we realized that those things matter to people around us for the sake of the gospel? Listen, maybe it starts today with you figuring out what that looks like for you as a husband and a wife. Maybe it starts today, what that looks like for you as a kid with their parents. Maybe it starts for you as a single person in the room who's thinking, hey, how do I live this out even though it's talking about husbands and wives? Listen, as you reflect Jesus to a world that's lost and dying, what if we show them a picture of a perfect world? What if we show them God's design, which is so much better than ours? You say, Danny, what should I do? Obey Jesus. Listen, I don't know what he's doing in his word today in your own heart. I can't tell you that, but you do. You know what he's saying. And when his word is preached, he demands a response from us. So ladies, what does that look like in your life? Fellows, what does that look like in your life? Lost person, do you need to give your life to Jesus? Saved person, do you need to follow his design and not yours? In a perfect world, it's not about you and me. In a perfect world, it's about the design that God has and he gives it to us right here. Will you choose to follow his way above your own? I pray you will. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, you're awesome. 